We are in this 15th chapter of John. Been there for a little while. Somebody, uh, I saw Eden and David yesterday, uh, and Eden said, look what you've done to my Bible. <laughs> uh, all marked up in John 15. You can't see the text much anymore. But uh, we've been looking at where Jesus had said in John 16, these things I've said to you, so you will keep from stumbling. And if you're interested, I uh, gave some definition of what that means, what stumbling is here. And it seems to me that uh, one of the things that Jesus is doing is trying to inform his uh, 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 followers about what is possible. Here, here's the possibility. And as I reflected on this, I thought, you know, the real possibility here is persecution. And persecution, I would say, is a possibility at different times. And sometimes it moves into the area of probability. It's more likely. There's certain parts of the world, it's going to happen. I mean, there's no question about it. Other parts of our world, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, there's some persecution. And other times, it backs off. It made me think about the differences between possibility and probability. One of the challenges I've had all my life, and still do to some degree, is I tend to live in the world of the possible. That's a crazy place to be. Because what is possible? Anything, right? Anything. You know, I, I say to my students, there could be a plane lost its hydraulics. I've flown over the church before, come back to Oklahoma City. There could be a plane that lost its hydraulics and is coming right into this building. Is that possible? Yeah. Well, why aren't you running? <laughs> it's not probable, right? Right. And so part of the challenge is with this matter of persecution is what is possible, what might be a problem. I, I, I just think of this. Uh, Wayne Bolamarker, my good friend that I've known for a long time, Wayne has said of me on several occasions that I'm better than television. And... Uh, <laughs> And that's because sometimes the possible gets a hold of me. I get worried about it. For instance, so several years ago, I have a kind of an active mind. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. There are three or four people up here. There's three or four people live up here, and they're talking to me, and we're going back and forth. And uh, I, I can carry on conversations with myself. I, I have on lots of occasions. But um, we, one, one, one year when we lived on the south side of town, a stray cat uh, showed up to our house. Now, I'm a dog person, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't hate cats. Um, I, uh, I, I, I did give it the stink eye when it came up, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we had this cat that just kind of showed up, and it was really uh, hungry and, and all messed up. And, and uh, so, um, you know, we brought it in, or Becky did, and took care of this cat. Had a cut-off little tail, so we called the cat Bob. And I had a Bob tail. I, yeah, I'm just... Just, I'm just reporting the news. I'm not making it. And uh, so we had this cat, and we brought it in, and we started taking care of it and, and all of this stuff, and, and Becky liked it, and I, it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm a dog person, but I'm not going to hurt a cat, usually. And uh, <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> um, I'm not. Uh, so anyway, I had the cat and got more comfortable, and uh, it was a, so we, we brought it. So uh, I have a tendency, uh, I'll go to my office sometimes and put my vitamins and stuff like that, on my desk, and then I'll go get a cup of coffee or something like that. And so one day I was thinking about a lot of different things, a lot of possibilities at the office and th some things I had to get done. And I came back to my desk, and I noticed, I, well, I didn't notice. If I'd have noticed, I'd never done it. I picked up the vitamin, and right about here as I let go of it, I said, there are teeth marks in that vitamin. <laughs> really? And my gag reflex wasn't quick enough <laughs> Went all the way down. Now, here's where I live in the possible and the probable. Instantly, my thoughts went to stray cat, not taking him to the doctor, 
never been to the vet. I have what? Rabies. Thank you. <laughs> it's not that crazy. <laughs> not that crazy. I, 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 Bob had bitten that vitamin. I could not get it out before. I swallowed it. All of a sudden, I got flushed. I got panicked. My blood pressure went up. My respiration weight went down. And I thought, rabies shots, you get those in the stomach. <laughs> Big shot. So my mind, in the possible, I called up a medical friend. I called Rhonda Seaton. She's a nurse. And I called her up and I said, Rhonda, I need to tell you a story about something that just happened. And she says, what? And I told her. And I said, you know, I know. She said, well, Cliff, you have all this stomach acid and it will kill anything. I said, yeah, but what if there's an open vessel in my throat as it went down? It's possible. An open vessel, a little irritation, and the saliva from the cat got there. I got rabies. Now, I can hear her laughing. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cruel. I, I had a medical emergency, right? Possibility. This, the mean thing, I got some mean friends. The mean thing that Rhonda did to me for the next six months, every time she saw me, she said, hello, Cliff. <laughs> every time she saw me. Every time. So Wayne has said, uh, you're better than TV. And that's been a struggle for me, to live always in the possible. It could happen. It could happen. Now, Jesus is saying it could happen. And we know in church history, there have been times when it did happen and does happen. I think he's trying to prepare us to say, listen, just be prepared. It, it, it isn't necessarily going to happen, not necessarily. But if it does, here's why. And let me, let me start off with this real quick. I know John 15, I got to quit being stupid this morning. In John 15, 19, Jesus said this, if you were of the world, the world would love its own because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because the world hates you. I think we have to acknowledge the world values conformity. We talked last week, and if you didn't hear it, if you want to get it, I talked at length a little bit about what Jesus brought is called the upside down kingdom. Listen, this kingdom we're a part of is upside down to the values of our world. You live by dying. You get by giving. You become great by becoming a servant, right? You lose your life, you gain it. All this stuff is upside down in terms of the way the world values things. We're part of an upside down kingdom. And sometimes that upside down of the kingdom, it's because it, it does not conform to everything about the culture, the culture or the world doesn't like it. Now the world, remember, is not just, it can be people, for God so loved the world, it can be the planet, this idea that he, he spoke the world into existence, or it can be what Jesus is referring to, the system that opposes the upside-down kingdom. The system, the values, the way that the kingdom of God is resisted. And so the world values conformity. It hates those that cause some kind of confrontation with different values. Now, we're not talking about being a jerk. We're not just talking about wearing all your beliefs on a sleeve. You know, my dad bought me a, a, a refrigerator uh, magnet when I was in seminary. It said this, everybody is entitled to my opinion. And he said, Cliff, I'd like to give this to you. And I thought, that's hurtful, you know. 
I'm, I'm not talking about being a jerk where you just, you know, you, you, you wear everything on your sleeve and tell me, but, but the idea of, con, of a lack of conformity to the values. I remember when I was working at a grocery store in college, we worked down by River Oaks. I, some of y'all remember this person. Some of y'all have no idea. I, I, I carried out the groceries for Jean Tierney. Yeah. You remember her? Some of y'all? Don't do this because everybody know you're old. <laughs> right. She drove a pink Rolls Royce to the grocery store. Had another lady, had a baby blue Jaguar XJ12, 12-cylinder engine. I asked her one time, what do you do with this car? She says, oh, I drive to the grocery store, go to the hairdresser. I said, I want to give you my phone number. If you ever need me to blow this thing out for you, you know, just occasionally, call me. I'll be glad to take it out. But, but I, I, I remember working there, and one time we were having a big, big uh, a survey coming in of the store, and, our, and our, uh, our, my manager, I remember, his, I won't call his name for fear that somebody's related to him, but um, yeah, you never know. Um, he said to us, he said, now, we're going to tell them this, this, and other, and I just said, Joe, I didn't call him Joe, that's his first name, I, I called him his last name, I said, I'm not going to lie, okay, I'm not going to lie. I, listen, uh, I don't know what you're going to do about this, but you know what he did? He put me in another department of the grocery store when they had the survey. <laughs> I thought, but I'm not going to lie, okay? Now, he didn't like that. Uh, he, he, he didn't like that, but most of the people that I carried groceries out for liked me because I talked to them, you know? Can you imagine that? <laughs> I was interested. I wanted to know what was going on. The world values conformity, and when the values of the upside-down kingdom come, don't be surprised if you get some pushback. They love conformity, love conformity. Uh, there's an interesting uh, experiment that was done back in the uh, 50s, and I'm not talking about 50 degrees, I'm talking about the years. <laughs> it's called the ASH experiment, A-S-C-H, A-S-C-H. Professor uh, got a bunch of uh, 50 college men, uh, college students at Swarthmore College in the United States and participated in a vision test. Now, there was one person in the group that didn't know what was going on, and seven, in, and the other seven, knew what was going on. And they decided they were going to do a test. They want to say, okay, exhibit one, which of the lines to the right are the same height? Here's what's fascinating. The results of the group were interesting. When surrounded by people giving and all these seven gave the incorrect answer, 75% of the subjects gave the wrong answer also. When they looked at this and they said, okay, which one's equal? Well, it's obvious it's A. But the, the people that were in this group, the other seven, were all lined up to say, it's B. 75% of the people in that control group answered B. And they knew it was what? A. Listen, conformity is a powerful thing. With kids, we call it peer pressure. For adults, we call it getting along. <laughs> right? For kids, hey, you don't need to give in to that peer pressure. When you're a kid, but when you're an adult, well, we just got to play ball. We got to get along. This conformity, Jesus said, listen, they don't love you because you're not part of that system. The world loves conformity. There is this idea that Jesus is saying here. Let me tell you why that is. Let me give you one of the key principles in leadership. I try to tell my students is this. Here's something, and I, and I think I can prove this at least to some degree. People... Do not resist change. I know you probably heard that all your life. This conformity thing. People don't resist change. They don't. People resist 
loss. People resist loss. If your boss came to you this week and said, listen, I'm going to give you $5,000 more pay and you're going to get two more weeks of vacation. I can't do that. Change. I'm just too hung up. Would you take that? Sure. What? Right. It's change, isn't it? What's not a part of it? Loss. On the other hand, if they come to you and say, look, we're taking a week of vacation away from you and you're losing $2,000. I'm looking for another job. It's loss. Listen, loss is what people are reacting to. And loss can be on lots of levels. For instance, these religious leaders, I told you last week, listen, the persecution in this passage is clear to me. On verse, at verse 25, it said they hated me, or, uh, they hated me because it was written in their law. That's the Jews. And then down in 16.2, it says they're going to bring you before synagogues. All this persecution at this point is from religious leaders. Religious people. Let me tell you, religious people can be tough to deal with. You start bringing loss. In other words, uh, your position and your place and your power is now being reduced. Religious people, religious leaders, preachers, Bible college professors, you name it, don't like it. I'll tell you a story on me. I remember several years ago, we used to be at, an old, at a church called Belle Isle down on 50th and Lynn, and, and um, uh, I started, started going to church after Becky made me come here, and uh, you know that story. Um, I started teaching, and I st- taught out in the, in the, the uh, vestibule, I think we call that, or the narthex, or I don't know, whatever that place is, outside the church building, I mean the sanctuary. And we had this little area, and I had a pretty good little class, and we called it, uh, they, they, they brought some sound equipment in, so they called it, we called it the Cliff Dome. <laughs> now you know God's going to get me for that, right? I called it the Cliff Dome. And I, uh, maybe, you know, maybe some of y'all, Wayne probably or some others remember, it was a lot of fun, and, and it was a large class like that. And then, a few years later we got here, somebody came here that was smarter than me. Terry Fakes. <laughs> I didn't like him. (laughs) And here's the funny thing. Terry and I grew up 12 miles apart from each other. He grew up in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. I grew up in Winchester, Kentucky. I really didn't like him now. (laughs) Because Montgomery County was our biggest rivalry in football. Here, this smart aleck. I remember driving to church one Wednesday night getting ready to teach. And between somewhere around Southwest 29th Street and the Oklahoma ditch, there, <laughs> river, whatever you want to call it. The Lord got a hold of me and said, young man, well, I wasn't that young. He said, Cliff, you're experiencing some loss here. You're not the go-to guy now. Terry is. You going to deal with that all right? Or are you going to let this thing become about your arrogance, your pride, your sense of status? Your... Listen, I battled with that for a few weeks because I thought, I want to be the number one teacher. I want to be the person everybody comes and talks to. Why? Loss. Listen, the world and us as well, let's not be, let's not be silly about this. You like conformity, and you and I resist loss. 
Don't try to funny it up. Don't try to spiritualize it. Don't try to make it, well, you know, I just am concerned about God's kingdom. No, it's loss, and you've got to own it and sense it and deal with it. Does that make sense? The world loves conformity. You and I like conformity. We like our positions and the power and the place. I don't know I'm talking about Wayne so much, but Wayne's known me for 38 years. I told him, I said, listen, when it comes time for me to retire or they burn my office down, you know, to get me out, kind of like a pest, you know, you get lice or something. You know, you get termites or lice, you just burn the building down. They get me out. I said, Wayne, would you hit me in the head with a hammer if I start acting like an idiot? He said, what do you mean start? (laughs) I've seen this. See, the world kind of gets its way into the church, doesn't it? This value system. It kind of starts sneaking in. And so position and power and place, that's, part of the, that's not the upside-down kingdom. The, the, the upside-down kingdom says, look, I'm here to serve. If, if, if God needs to set me aside, that, that's fine. If God needs to use somebody else, it's fine. I've watched this over the years. I will just tell you this. Many ministers, you may have known, there are a lot of churches that have gotten torn up because a minister retired or left and couldn't let go. Why? you got to be in the upside-down kingdom. You know what? My, my role is serve, not, not build a kingdom. For myself. So, so acknowledge the world likes conformity. And let's acknowledge this, that you know what? We get conformed to this. We get conformed to this. I'll tell a story. I didn't ask permission, but I'm not identifying anybody. But I went home the other day and said, oh, Becky, I'm hoping and trusting that I'm learning how to live in the upside-down kingdom. One morning, a person in this class who loves Jesus and was wanting to grow and cares about people said, I'd like to have breakfast with you, and he, he drives a truck. You know, he drives a truck. And we had breakfast, and we talked and had a great time. And uh, it was wonderful. And we shared our hearts, and it was great. And then that afternoon, I had coffee with another guy in this class who flies a jet. You know what I asked myself? Did I treat both those guys the same way? I treat both those guys the same way? I mean, man, let me tell you, you know, the ultimate luxury is to be a jet pilot, you know. That's the upside-down kingdom. I'm not saying I've always done that. I went home and said, okay, let's take an inventory here just a little bit. See, the world loves conformity. We get pulled into this thing where we value a pilot of a private citation five. I know all about these. I love airplanes. (laughs) A citation five or a guy that drives a double axle Mack truck. Are they the same? Talk to me. Yeah, we say that. We say that. Do we act like that? See, the world loves you to conform that the jet pilot is more important than the truck driver. Or the lawyer is more important than the janitor. Or the, the, the plumber is more important than the doctor. <laughs> Let's just say that, right? Let's just be honest. <laughs> you can find a doctor anywhere. Where can you find a good plumber? <laughs> right? My kingdom for a plumber. Right? Acknowledge the world values conformity. Acknowledge that we battle with this ourselves. Jesus said the reason they don't like you 
is because you are not of this world. I'm not talking again about being goofy or weird. I'm talking about living the values of the upside down kingdom. Jesus said, you better get ready for this. They won't all like it. So here's what I ask you to think about. What if this week you identify one area where you might be conforming in values or perspectives with the world? Is there an area? You know, if, and this may take some time and think. I'm not, you don't have to know it right now. Is there an area? Is there an area in your life, like as I've tried to look at mine, I, I mean, I had this long conversation with myself, and you know I can because we had three or four at the table. <laughs> I've asked myself at times, Cliff, do you value certain people over others? Do you give more attention to some than others? Are you, are you equally available to others? I, I, have to, I have to do that kind of inventory and ask myself. So uh, let, let's accept the fact that we don't, you and I don't resist change. We resist what? Loss. Don't forget that. If you're, let me, if you're dealing with people and you're having to bring about change, the most important thing you should do in your company or your family or like is find out where the loss is first. We're going to make this change, but before we do, where's the loss? Let's find it. Let's find the loss and let's address it. Let's deal with the loss first. And then we can bring about the change, right? Second, accept that religious practices can go wrong. Notice what Jesus said. Verse uh, 20, where am I here? 21. But all these things they will do for, your name, for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. This uh, phrase, they do not know the one who sent me. I, uh, that, that, that is interesting. Jesus identifies the reason that these leaders in Judaism reject him. They don't know. They don't know the one who sent him. I, I, it's staggering to me. I'm going to just read you some stuff here and you can listen. They know the Torah, the Old Testament, or the, the law. Do you know that there are some stories in rabbinical literature that tell us that some rabbis studied the Torah to such an extent, they roll it up, stick a needle in it at a certain length, and then say that stopped at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 28. That's called memorization. They knew the Torah like that. Rabbis, they knew the Torah. They knew the Midrash. That's the commentary on the law. They knew Mishnah, which is commentary on the oral tradition. They knew Talmud, which is writings about the, the Mishnah. Halakha, the Jewish law based on the Talmud. They knew Haggadah, which are the instructions about the Passover. They knew Gerimah. They knew the temple liturgy and sacrifice. They knew the feast days. They knew the Sabbath rules and dietary laws. This is where religion goes wrong. They knew all that and didn't know the one that they could be in relationship with. You know, th this can happen. This is where religion goes wrong. When we get locked up into all the encouragements, we know, we know about these things. We, we have some information about this. We can quote scripture. We know this. We know that. But do we know the Father? I'm reading a new book. You ought to read this. It's called The Abba Prayer. It's by a guy named um, Larry Crabb. He's walk, walking all over me. 
when he's saying that prayer is not really about asking for stuff. Prayer is about being with God. Not coming with your list. It's called the Abba prayer. It's fascinating. This, this idea that prayer is not just me coming with my laundry list or me coming for something, it's to spend time with my Father. Worship isn't just something I do to get a brownie point or something I do to impress people. It's that I come to raise my voice and heart and life to give praise to God. Giving and pr- all these kinds of things can get us to where they become the end instead of the means. Knowing about God about knowing God. They don't know Him. Can, can that happen? Can, can you be around all of this stuff and all of these religious rituals and all of these books and all of these for, uh, uh, resources of knowledge that the Jews had and not know the Father? It apparently means so. Let me give you an example. When I was finishing my doctorate several years ago, I had to, had to provide some statistics for, uh, for my research. I can't, I can't even say statistics. I don't know how to say it. I'm just thinking... You know, so I had a friend at the university that loves math. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't multiply letters. I have, I got to have some help. Carol loves math. She's a weirdo. And, uh, you know, just, I, if you can like, I just, I just say, if, if you're, if the number is going to be, a, if the letter is going to be a number, just give me the number. They won't do that. They won't do it. So Carol got together with me and all of a sudden I'm introduced all this N equals how many participants, the standard deviation, uh, the significant statistical balance, uh, and all this, Carol crunches, all this stuff. And I, I, I knew my work to be, I'm reading this. I knew my work to be statistic. I can't even say it, see? I knew my work to be statistically significant because it allowed me to reject the null hypothesis. That is, as per reductio absurdum, reasoning, the statistically significant result should be highly improbable in the null hypothesis if that is assumed to be true. So I'm walking into my final defense on my dissertation, and I'm thinking, here's what I said. I sat down the committee they asked me one question about my results. I thought if they asked me one more question, I'm done. I knew the answer to one question. Was it at the 0.5 significance rate in that? And how did you determine that? Any other question passed out, I'd say, I'm out. <laughs> did I know statistics? No. Did I have some not? I mean, that sounded pretty good, didn't it? Made me sound pretty smart. Did I know about the, the reductio ad absurdum reasoning that shows statistical significance? I could say that. Did I know anything about statistics? No, not at all. And I'm serious. I'm, I'm, scared. I'm thinking, please don't ask any follow-up questions on my research data. Don't, not on the quantitative side. Qualitative, I can talk all day about the qualitative side. Of it. Don't ask me any quantitative analysis over here because Carol told me what to read. <laughs> right? <laughs> Do, do people know about God like that? Who's Jesus, son of God? Where's he born? Bethlehem. What do you do? Died on the cross. Why? For our sins. What? Coming back. Keeps from going to hell. Know all that stuff. Know all of that stuff. Notice here it says, but not know the one who sent me. The word know here, you probably know. <laughs> means personal, intimate knowledge based on experience. Personal, intimate knowledge based on experience. You all know Becky. You know where she works. She know who she, you know who she lives with. You know her chores at the house. 
But you don't know her. I know her. I've, I've, I've lived with her for 37 years. She has officially moved into sainthood now. <laughs> for sure. I know her. I know her. I, I can tell by a look on her face what's happening here. What's going on? I know by the cadence of her walk how she's feeling. I, I've been around her enough to say I, I have some sense of the, 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 the tempo of the way she's talking. What might be going on? You see, we've, we've lived life and we've lived life together to where I know her. I, I don't know how this happened. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I've told you this. I really don't take myself that seriously. I hope you believe. I'm really, I'm really serious. I, I'm just a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to learn how to follow him. I, I don't, I got lots of answers and lots of ideas, but I don't really, I never have taken myself that seriously. I'm surprised people come to Sunday school. I, I, yeah, I'm serious. I go, wow, people came. But somewhere early on, the passage in John 17, we'll get there someday, maybe by the time I retire. <laughs> John 17, 3 said this, and this, I can, I can track this back to early, early in my Christian life. When it says this, this is eternal life. When I read that, my ears kind of perked up. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life that they might know you Oh God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not praying a prayer. It's not going to the altar. It's not making promises. What is, what is eternal life that Jesus brings is to know the Father. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how well I've done in this. At 60, whatever that is, two years old. But the singular goal in my life has been to know Him. I've, I, I told Becky one, I, I have never, this is why I'm going to be working until I'm 83, I, I, I've, I, I have never set goals in my life. I, I never have. I never said, I want to be here by this, I want to do that. You know, I wish I'd done with my retirement, you know. I'm going to be working at 7-Eleven. I'll see y'all at Walmart someday, you know. I'll be the greeter. That's right. That's okay. That's a good job. Hey, nothing wrong with it. But there has been a singularity with this. God, I just, I want to know you. And, and I, don't, I don't even know what that means completely. This is where, this where it gets weird. I'm not talking about mysticism. I'm not talking about feeling close to God all the time. I don't feel that way. I don't feel close to God a lot of the time. But this constant hunger to know him. Not about him. I know a lot about him. But to know him, this is eternal life. Remember the old song? Well, no, stop it. See, I'm two voices. The, the, eternal life is to know him. Steve Green wrote a song years ago. Just the time my heart gets consumed by the, well, the desires of wealth. Just the time my soul gets pulled off into the world. That's when I hear the Spirit call. I feel the Spirit blow. Oh, I want to know you. I want to know you 
more. Google that song. It's by Steve Green. I want to know you. It's incredible. That, that's sort of been the song. And, 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 I, and I say that because I saw, I'm going to give you a couple verses. They're in John 17, in Philippians 3, 8 to 10. In Philippians 3, 8 to 10. Paul, Paul said, you know, uh, whatever I've had, I, it's, I forget it. It's, it's, it's dung. I'd like to give you the tr literal translation of that, but it's bad. I, I forget it. He said, and, and I, I take all things as loss. And Paul had lost a lot. He'd been a rabbi. He'd been a, a leader. He, you know, when he says, forgetting those things that are behind me, I don't, you know, I, I sometimes ask, are you people reading the Bible? Because when I grew up, forgetting those things behind me. So we'd say, okay, all your sins like that. When Paul is saying forgetting the things behind me, he's not forgetting failure. Go read it. He's not forgetting failure. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a tribal of the Benjamin, as, a, as, a, as to a Pharisee, blameless. As to the law, not guilty. He's not forgetting failure. He's forgetting success. We've twisted that verse out of shape so many different ways. You see, because this is where religion goes wrong. We start trusting in our tradition. We start trusting in our knowledge. We start trusting in our experiences. We start trusting in our wisdom. All those kinds of things. This is what Paul's saying. Hey, I was, on the eight, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Perfect. I was born of Benjamin. Awesome tribe. I was a Pharisee. Way to go. As to a Pharisee and the law, blameless. So you want to talk about a resume? I'll be glad to talk to you about it. I count all of that as loss for the surpassing value of knowing him. That's crazy, Paul. You're giving all that up? Yeah. Because that's where religion goes wrong. We lose the giver when we focus on the gifts. We lose the giver. Now, now, now it's just important that we keep the gifts. So Paul said that I might know him in the fellowship, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to the image of of his son. Here's the other one. Now, this is, I, uh, let me make this statement. I'm not trying to make you anxious. I'm trying to get you to pay attention. I'm not trying to make you anxious here. I'm trying to get you to pay attention to what Jesus said. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Matthew 7, he said, and many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, now, Hebrew doesn't have a, a superlative form, so anytime you double something in Hebrew, it means important. Lord, Lord. Not everyone says, but he said, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not perform mighty miracles in your name? And Jesus does not deny that. He simply says this, depart from me. I never Knew you. What? Jesus, you mean, oh, and I forgot you're born? No, no, no. You and I had no relationship. No personal, intimate knowledge based on experience. Think about that. Perform miracles, preached in his name, cast out devils. This is where I think, again, where religion goes wrong. We discovered through the use of television and things like that that not ever shining star on religious television is the real deal, hadn't we? We figured that out yet? 
right? A lot of performance. I tell my students all the time, and I include myself in this, to be a preacher or a teacher or to stand up in front of people, there's a little bit of actor in every, all of us, okay? Just, let's just lay that. There's a little bit of actor in me, you know, and in anybody else that stands up in front of people. We've seen this, that there's all kinds of people that can blow the sides of the doors out with all kinds of things that are incredible, and we're impressed, aren't we? Jesus may say, I didn't know you. That'll tighten up a Bible teacher. <laughs> that, that, that causes me before I go to bed to say, hey Cliff, it didn't all your knowledge and your degrees and all that kind of jazz. Do you know him? Lord, I want to know you. In fact, I want to ask you to consider this. Would you, what if you accept that there might be some way you've placed some religious practice in, the play, in a place reserved for knowing the Father? Is it a possibility? I, listen, for some time until the Lord kind of got a hold of me, my devotional life was like that. I thought I'd get in the morning, pray, read my Bible, get back, check, okay, I'm ready to go. Right? I, I, I remember one time I was a pastor. I can't believe Jesus said this to me when I was a pastor. I was working for him. <laughs> working for him. And I'm praying one morning, and I mean, I'm, it's early in the morning, so I got that covered. He is very impressed. Jesus is really impressed with me. It's early, right? So I'm got it all going. And Jesus just said this to me. Hey, why don't you put that prayer list away and talk to me? Why don't you put that prayer list away and talk to me? Hmm. I didn't hear a voice, but I knew it was crystal clear because I knew what I was doing. I had replaced a relationship with Jesus with practices. Do you, do you sometimes come to worship and don't worship? Do you sometimes pray and don't pray? Do, do you sometimes read the Bible and never connect with God? I'm not talking about feelings here. I'm talking about, okay, you got something to say to me? Is there something here I need to deal with? This is where religion goes wrong. It gets all goofed up because we get these things in front of us instead of knowing Him. I, I, it, it's, it's been the the goal of my life. It's been the, where my energy goes. Um, I sometimes wonder if I've grown a lot because I've just kind of hung out right here. Really, I'm, I'm just serious. I, you know, look at my prayer list every day and I just say, you know, Jesus, I just, you know, I've told you, that these are my three, th it comes from God's spell. I know some of y'all, you know, you heard that, you remember, remember if, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <clears throat> uh, you weren't there. You couldn't have been. You could not have been there if you remember the 60s. But I have a real simple prayer every day. I mean, I come to thank you, Lord, for waking me up and Becky not killing me in the evening and in the night because she should have. It's this. Lord Jesus, I want to see you more clearly. I, I want to love you more dearly so I can follow you more nearly. That's all I pray. Over. It's not a mantra. It's not magic. But I need to see him. I need to see him more clearly. You know, we've talked about this in the past, but in, in, in Ephesians 1 15, when Paul says, I'm praying for you that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. 
That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Go read it 115 to 17. I'm praying that, that, that God the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's my verse. I say, Lord, I want to see you more clearly. I want to see you more clearly. I, and I don't know what that means all the time. I, I'm not trying to make this mystical, and yet, hey, if this God in, you know, if he's locked up in this book, we're in trouble. Or can we know him? So, so I want to see you more clearly. If I, I think if that happens, I will love you more dearly. If I can really see him. The times that I know that Jesus has revealed himself to me, it's caused me to love him. If I can see him more clearly, I can love him more dearly, then I'm going to follow him more nearly. This is where religion goes wrong. All these things, all these accoutrements, all these whatever you want to call them, take the focus off of him. So, so it's possible for you, for, it's been my case, I mean, I'm, I'm not standing up here saying, you know, what you need to do is you need to, hey, this is me, okay? This is me. Is there something here that you've placed in a place that's reserved? It's, this is reserved for knowing the Father. This is not something you get to take over and do something else with it. You don't get to decide, you know what, when I read my Bible, it makes I'm a good Christian, so I feel good about myself. No, no, you read your Bible to know him. To know him. Real quick, I'll, I'll finish with this. Um, some years ago, when I was a pastor, there's a guy named Shorty. I forgot his last name. I don't know his first name. Becky probably does. <laughs> this guy was at the church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where I pastored where I came here. He was a guy who opened the church up every Sunday morning and uh, uh, turned the lights on, started the coffee, had helped actually physically in the 40s. They built a building that was in the back. We gave it to the youth uh, that he helped physically build for the church. I know at some level he gave almost half of his income to the church. He was retired now. His wife had died. He, he made an appointment with me one day as when I was his pastor. And uh, Shorty uh, came in, and he was short. <laughs> um, uh, and he said, I didn't talk to you, Pastor. And I said, and he, you know, he wasn't sick. I mean, you know, he's a good guy. I mean, I, I was just shocked he wanted to talk to me. First day I met him, I backed my trailer in the, into the grill of his pickup truck. <laughs> First time I met him. Way to go, Cliff. Way to win friends and influence people. Really, tore his truck up the first day we met. So I was wondering, okay, what's he here? Is, you know, is there a lawsuit now before the statute of limitation runs out? You know, really. He comes and starts talking to me. He says, you know, you're different than any pastor we've ever had before. And I said, I hear that a lot. <laughs> he said to me, very calmly, was it? He said, uh, Pastor, if what you've been talking about, knowing Jesus, is what a Christian is, I'm not a Christian. And I said, no, wait a minute, hold it here. Something going on? Are you sick? You know, some illness or something? No. Settle down. I mean, <laughs> let's talk. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not in the, not, I mean, I, I kind of can be a provocateur sometimes when I'm teaching. I kind of like to throw stuff out there and then walk off. But uh, 
I, you know, I, I wasn't, his guy's been 80 years. I wasn't trying to disturb him. And he began to share with me his life. And he said, I really, I really don't know Jesus. I think it's good to live a good moral life, and I think you should live right. But I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Now, first of all, do you know how rare that is at 80-something? I think he was 81. And then he called me over to his house a few a week or so later because I was trying to check on. You know, I want to make sure that he wasn't just responding to some emotional thing like that. So I went over and saw him. He lived not too far from us. And uh, he said, uh, I need to be baptized. I said, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. just a second now. Come on, let's not get crazy. I'm serious. I'm trying to put the brakes on. And we talked and I said, Shorty, if this will satisfy you with a sense that you know you've made this decision and you've done this, I'll do it. I'll never forget. Again, this guy had been in the church for 50 years. The Sunday when I baptized him, when I, we opened up the curtains, you know, and I walked down there, I would make a couple of comments, and I said, we have a candidate for baptism. When he came to, listen, this whole church did this. <gasps> and I said, you know our friend here. <clears throat> this is Shorty. And Shorty has been religious, and Shorty has been committed and moral. He's committed to morality. But he himself has said, I want to know Jesus personally. And baptize him. He lived for years after that. Shocked me. I'm not trying to disturb you. It may be that you're just one of the people like me that you sometimes need to get recalibrated. To say, now Cliff, it's not teaching, it's not studying, it's not just praying, it's not just going to church. This is where religion goes wrong. It's knowing the Father. And we can just tell him, hey, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me see you more clearly? Would you help me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need help. Our lives are so busy and we get a lot of religious activities going and they're okay. But uh, they tend to start edging you out. So would you help us? Realize that we can be persecuted because we live in another kingdom. And it could be that we need to calibrate or realign ourselves to knowing you. This isn't an achievement. This isn't, Lord, something that we got to start and, and finish today. It isn't, it isn't some goal to set. It is a lifelong pursuit. So for some of us, we've been at this a long time, and we just need to say, Lord, I, I, just, I need to kind of get back into that rhythm of that. For others, it may be that it's, I got to start. I got to begin. So would you help us? Would you send friends along our way? Would you help us as we read your word? Would, your, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, guide us and, and give us uh, insight? But most of all, would you increase our hunger to know you? Would you increase our hunger to know you? And help us to recognize that and respond to it at work, at home, in the yard with our friends. We humbly ask this because we can't do this. We can't create our own hunger. 
We can't create our own desire. Would you do this for us? For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.